Good morning, everybody. It's, it's a great day, isn't it? It's a great day with this sunshine outside, with us in here sitting comfortably, able to be together. It's a great day when we can celebrate Mothering Sunday. We can celebrate those who have cared for us. And we can also this day celebrate a feast. We can come together and eat. We can eat on this day when we are thinking of those who have maybe laid many tables and cooked many dinners. Who have prepared much and allowed love to be known. And that's what we'll be doing here later in the service. Because a table has been prepared for us. A feast has been made. And we hear of a meal, a dinner, in Matthew 22. Yet again, we have one of these stories where maybe the mother or the servant is missing, the one that's done some of the work preparing the feast. But yet, it is there. It's a story, a parable. And there's always something special in the parable. There's the sense of, yes, it's an interesting tale, but there's something more beyond. Because as Jesus speaks, he tells something that has a little bit of wordplay in it, a little bit of a puzzle, a little bit of a pondering that those hearing it might get the message or they might not. I know as a son, my mum would have to explain things pretty bluntly to me. Maybe my wife would say the same thing. I don't always get the hidden meaning behind what's said. Sometimes not even that well hidden. (laughs) But it's the same with Jesus' parables too. This is one that he tells that we see in Matthew and Luke, but not in Mark. And it's a wedding feast. A wedding feast with wonderful food, lots of people, but also a little bit of violence thrown in. Not violins, like Emmeline was playing, but violence. And that might make us struggle a bit. I doubt if any of us have never been to a wedding reception in our lives. It's one of those things that through the ages, going back millennia, people have done. They've come together and they have celebrated. Man and wife. And such an occasion is really a private thing. But it involves the community. 
maybe traditionally a whole village would be involved in one or more of the different aspects. When I was a, a young child, it used to be the habit that there was a scramble. Marion's nodding. Uh, the, 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 as, the, as the bride and the father of the bride left their house, handfuls of money would be thrown to those that had gathered, usually the small children, and it would be gathered up. And, they, and it would engage the, the village, the community where you lived. All were welcome to receive something, some blessing on this special day. And there would be another one, another scramble as the happy couple left the church. I'm not sure you could risk assess throwing money at people, particularly coins these days. It, it wouldn't go down well. But we still do gather community together as a wedding. This time more limited perhaps to family and close friends. But we gather and we sit and we eat together and we have a big celebration. And if you are invited, you are part of that community, that close circle. And you want to attend, usually. Back when our daughter, Faith, was a baby, only about six months old, Emily and I were invited, along with the children, to go to a wedding. And... It was in America, and we wished we could go, Uh, but it would have been costly for us, and it would have been quite a test for us to survive a long-haul flight, and probably quite a challenge for the other passengers too. (laughs) Sometimes you have to say no. You have to say no, much as though I want to attend the wedding, much as though I want to be at that celebration, I just can't go. But most people want to attend and perhaps rejig their, their schedule to fit it in. They'll do something different, they'll put other things aside to attend the wedding. And imagine getting an invitation, not just to a wedding, but to a royal wedding. A great affair. What would the food be like? Well, we have the menu here, don't we? Oxen and fatted cattle. You know, it's not just one calf, not just one sheep. Oxen. And fatted cattle. There's lots to eat. Because there's lots of people coming. And he's doing his best. That all may be fed well. But Jesus tells us those invited don't want to go. They ignored the call to the banquet table. Not just once. But twice. And they don't just turn aside. They attack the messenger. So why not come to the feast? 
Why not? They each have an excuse, one to the field, another to his business. They're saying, I don't have time. I'm doing something more important. More important than being with the king. These people are rejecting the invite by making the false excuse that they're busy. And you, at times, will have had that same sort of excuse. You may even have made it yourself. The time, time, I just don't have time. I can't get to charge. Can't get to home groups. Can't spend a daily time with God. I have work to do. My family needs me. I'm too tired. I have shopping. It's the only chance we get to be together. They sound like legitimate excuses. But often they are not. Being together as a family can include being together with the wider worshipping family. Putting the prayer into our life at the start of a busy day can help us with the difficulties that we will encounter that day. Followers of Jesus need to think, what is the invitation I am invited to? And put other things aside to be in his presence. In his earthly ministry, Jesus calls, he invites people to be his followers. And we see the fishermen jump out the boats and sort of leave their nets. But not everyone was the same. Some came along and he said, come. And they had their excuse. There, oh, I have to do this first. Jesus said, let the dead bury their own dead. And to one who wanted to say goodbye to his family, Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plough and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. These are difficult words to hear at times. These are challenges to us. And we might be in pain with our family. We might be struggling in some way. But we have to think, what is the call upon our life? Who can be ceased to be amazed this week of the response of Toby Elwood? The MP on hearing gunshots didn't listen to his friend and go away from the situation, but responded by running forwards. Thinking of others, he got himself covered in blood. He wasn't thinking of his family or his life, but of how he could contribute to the situation. I don't know if he's a man of faith or not. 
but sacrifice is our calling. We are to respond, come close. Being a Christian is about commitment and realizing that God has the first call on your life. He has the first call on your time and your strength and your money. But I must stress that it is God that has that call. Not the church. And too often we as church can try pushing the two together. The feast will go ahead. But that means there must be new guests. Those who are now invited are the poor, the blind, the crippled, the lame. Those who are found hanging about on the street corner. Those who could never afford such a meal. And could never return the compliment. They could never lay on this feast. But then that's true, isn't it? The meal we are invited to is something we can never repay. What Jesus has done for us and the hope that he can give us is beyond all riches. But there's still room at the table. There's still more to come. All, good or bad, can come. The message goes out. You're welcome. You're loved. Please take part in this feast. And this host that's giving the invite is the same one who was the owner of the vineyard in our parable last Sunday. The son who said he would go to the field but didn't is like the wealthy guest who didn't attend. They are those who are the first century religious elite, but do not serve his name. In the society of the day, it was thought that those who are blessed must be those with riches. Must be those with power. Must be those who have the strength and the ability to do things themselves. And that they would have a place in heaven. But that's not how Jesus teaches us. Instead, he says it is the poor and the weak and the lowly. It's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than a camel to go through the eye of the needle. And that's what we're seeing in this parable. The rich can't be bothered. They're very comfortable. But the others accept the invitation. Society looks down on many people that are different. Those that don't have, those that are struggling... But the invitation goes out to them. Because God does not look down. 
the king welcomes them to his feast. Whatever your struggle, whatever your pain, the Lord loves you and wants you to know his presence with you. It's a gracious host to invite the lowest. But then we see the king throw one out for not wearing the proper clothing. So we get a different puzzle. Not just why some wouldn't attend, but a homeless person in a pristine suit. Why doesn't he have a wedding garment? Should he have a wedding garment? Surely that would be expensive. Well, it's commonly understood that the host would actually provide the clothing. It would have gone out with the servant and the invite. So that gives us two possible paths. Either the man did not receive the clothing and so is an uninvited guest, which seems unlikely seeing the invites gone out to all, or the man did receive the clothing, but did not show respect by putting it on. Either way, the person is not showing reverence to the king and is thrown out. Admission was free. All are welcome to partake. But as you come, it means that there's no liberties to be taken in that feast. Our place at the banquet is there. But we cannot abuse the privilege. We cannot simply do as we please. We have to wear the banqueting clothes that the Lord supplies to us. We are to be dressed like Jesus. Not in hairy woolen robes or sandals or anything like that. But robed with righteousness and feet prepared to go where the Father takes us. When the invited refused to attend, and later the wedding attendee is found inappropriately dressed, the king responds in what many find too violent a reaction. The army marches, and people are killed. The man at the feast is bound up and thrown out. Is this the story of our God, the loving God? Some argue no. How can it be? Jesus is giving us an example of an earthly man who abuses power. Really? They say our God is forgiving. He even gave his son that we might know grace. And the, this depiction smacks of the Old Testament. But because it has that hint of Old Testament-ness, 
That's not a word, is it? <laughs> Old Testament nurse. But you know what I mean. Because it's got that feeling of old about it. Matthew's readership would connect. It would be like the stories that their mum told them. The stories that were told around the table. Stories of God's presence and strength and power. And so they would sit up and listen and try to learn. We must face the reality that there will be a day of judgment. That actions have consequences. And Jesus died that those who believe may be forgiven and receive eternal life. There is hope for those who are here and those who have had faith and have gone before us. They will receive their place at the heavenly banquet. But for those who have rejected the invite to be part of the kingdom, those who have said they don't want to be sat at the table of the feast, the outcome is grim. Which leaves us with a challenge. We know of the delight of the feast. We know what it is like to be in that community at a great celebration. And we know of the fate of those who choose not to come. So we must act to see that those who are choosing not to be participants at the banquet might have another chance, might receive the invitation again and again and again. Until they awaken to the fact that their excuse is folly and they give their life to the Lord. Likewise, if you are here pretending to be at the feast but are not wearing the right clothes, then perhaps the time is right to reclothe yourself and come before him to awaken to who you are called to be for no one knows the hour that the Lord shall return Amen